Hi, and welcome back to All Things Data. Today we're generally talking about the use of AI in small businesses. We'll largely be talking through how AI can be useful in an organization where you may not have the talent, you may not have the data, and you may just not have the budget to do uh, as many things as, let's say, Facebook or, or Google might. So without further ado, let's get on with it. Hi, Victor. I hear that many small businesses may have trouble thinking of ways that AI can work for their business. Could you tell us more about that? Uh, sure. So as we alluded to, small businesses have different uh, needs and obstacles that they may run into when trying to optimize their business for whatever reasons, right? But broadly speaking, the small business really still has a lot of possibilities for AI and they largely fall into buckets. So in a small business, you'll often want to generate sales and profits. So optimize for that. That's one very key point where AI makes a lot of sense. Because you have a small staff, you may want to look at automating a part or a large part of customer interactions. You really just never know how many people you might need to serve all your customers, especially if you're doing well, because that's the, that's the crux of it all. If you are doing well, you're going to have to hire a bunch more people. So in order to do that well, you're also going to need to figure out how to discern whether the talent's great. So a platform or a model or an AI that looks at recruitment as a holistic process and optimizes that for you could be very useful. Generally, most businesses, especially in the software space, but really just about any business, should be looking at some unfair advantage or some moat or defensibility that they're putting around themselves. And as you might imagine, you know, injecting AI into your main process solution or business probably gets you some of the way there. Some kind of IP protection helps a little bit, but realistically, if you're doing things in a more automated fashion, you're probably going to do better than the other small businesses who are trying to, to do things in a very manual way trying to attract customers to your business, you're obviously going to run into all kinds of marketing and advertising. You might imagine there's a, a lot of AI built in the world to try to optimize both the spend and the kind of marketing that you might be looking to do and obviously keep the cost low because you are a small business and you want very targeted niche kind of campaigns. This next thing kind of gets brushed aside often or not thought of very much, but really all about online security, whether that's cybersecurity, any kind of online security, but there are ways to assess risk and to secure things much better, whether that is your app or your data or your people or your processes using artificial intelligence. <clears throat> um, next, we're looking at the ability to budget and forecast better. And we've talked a lot about this in the past, especially in the world of document intelligence, using document intelligence to ingest a lot of the lost brains of those documents and agreements allows for the ability to do slightly better budgeting and forecast. There's also the ability to increase productivity, focus and flow. That one's big. It's always been a large ask from usually the board all the way down to every tactical person. And now we've also thrown a wrench into the whole thing because we have 
hybrid working arrangements, remote work, flexible work hours, right to disconnect, all these kind of things are kind of just thrown at, you know, managers of people. And very often they don't have the tools set to actually affect this the best way. <clears throat> and then finally, just as you might imagine, gathering and analyzing all kinds of data sets is obviously part and parcel for artificial intelligence. And there's a myriad of tools for that. And there's a myriad of tools for each kind of workload that you might, you might face in that world as well. That sounds great. Um, we have talked about generating sales in a previous conversation. Why don't you tell me how small businesses can automate customer interactions? That's a really good question. So you're right. We, we did speak a little bit about increasing sales and reducing churn, but there's just the matter of I'm a customer trying to find out about your service. And do you need to have somebody to field those questions individually to me every time? The old type of organization. And if you look back to, you know, face-to-face -face sales, yes, that was the norm. However, the world of face-to-face -face is sort of dissolving a little bit. And the generations that are coming up, you know, millennials and behind them, you're really looking at generations that actually like the entirety of self-serve and the portion of research that they're doing for themselves to garner whether or not they would want to buy your thing. They don't necessarily want to talk to or be sold to really. So a very good way to help with this in, in the world of AI is utilizing conversational AI. I mean, that's a nice marketing term to sort of hide the fact that it's a chatbot. And traditionally, we've had versions of chatbots and versions of speech and text-to-speech programs and processes and solutions that have existed for some time. A lot of them are incredibly deterministic in the sense that you have to ask a very specific set or series of sets of questions in order to get the right response for me. Or you get a lot of, can you repeat that? Can you change the way you're asking that kind of thing? What we're seeing nowadays, and especially with chatbots like our Mensa, like a thousand miles Mensa, is that you give it a brain and you sort of let it generate speech from its understanding. And that requires natural language generation, natural language understanding, which is sub-branches of natural language processing. But having a, a chatbot that actually understands what your mission is or what your technical details are or how to treat a customer in a certain way uh, makes that interaction much more profitable for both sides, for the business and for its client, such that you know the client gets almost immediate feedback on the thing that they need. And it could be like off business hours. They could be using your product at three in the morning when you're possibly not supporting it. Uh, and obviously it makes them feel like they're taken care of because you've given them the tool to allow them to self-serve. So that leads to happier customers and it also leads to slightly easier sales if you can answer a lot of the questions that most people who are kind of kicking the tires and trying to understand whether or not they want your service can interact with something about your company that tells them those questions. Very cool. Uh, earlier you mentioned one of the ways that AI can 
help with small businesses is recruitment. Could you tell us more on how AI could help with recruitment in this case? Absolutely. Recruitment's actually really cool and it's been really a huge part of my life as a manager of people and a constant recruiter of people and then you know an executive in organizations and a director of companies all all the way through so really the recruiting game is something that has to always be on the go if you're a growing company the people and companies that aren't recruiting all the time are likely kind of stagnating and staying in you know the same size there's nothing wrong with being the same size but if your hope is to grow 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 you're going to be recruiting i mean that's just part and parcel of the game and it's often been a bit of a mishmash of ways that you understand whether somebody is good at the things that they say they're good at because no one is going to put forth a resume or a portfolio or any version of i'm telling you how good i am that's not going to highlight everything that's the most awesome about them and very possibly fluff some of that up so really understanding whether or not those people are good at these things uh, matters a lot in your recruitment process. Now, what your recruitment process can do is it can very quickly understand whether or not the people are likely to have some of these skills. And it wouldn't just be from, again, NLP and reading the resume and understanding the resume in its context and possibly doing even more rudimentary things such as keyword searches, which is what most applicant tracking systems, ATSs do. It's largely keyword searches with, they say AI, but I mean, it's automation more so than like real deep AI. But you could look for a lot of their public profile stuff. Maybe they've written stuff on Medium. Maybe they've answered questions on Yahoo Answers. Maybe they've been in a community and they've been a big proponent of that community. They might have open LinkedIn posts and all this stuff. You could build a corpus on these people and actually understand who and how they are and how they work prior to bringing them in. So you could have an understanding of sort of a EQ test, more like a Myers-Briggs than anything. And for those who are highly technical, you could still get to a place where you're looking at their public output in places like Stack Overflow or GitHub or GitLab or places like that, and also start figuring out whether or not those people are good for your business. Another thing that we've seen just anecdotally is the world of job boards is usually place a job on a job board, wait for people to apply, hope that you've written enticing enough copy basically. That's what it comes down to. Especially if you don't have the brand ability of like being IBM or, or whoever, like big large company. There are platforms out there that sort of flip it on its head a little bit. So you still place that job on the job board. Uh, you have a bunch of skills and really skills and attributes of the candidate that you would like to look for. And the job board then messages out to those candidates that are on its board that match that profile and invites them to your job application without you having to do it. It's a paid service, obviously, but it can result in slightly larger amount of candidates applying to your job, especially if you've done a good job of, of writing it up and everything about your company sounds solid. What role can AI play when it comes to marketing to target the customers? Wow. Marketing has luckily been one of the industries where people have done, I guess, 
maybe not just the most work, but I, it's the most talked about work. I mean, because that's what marketers do. They're talking about the product, right? So you can imagine that the people who have built AI systems for marketers obviously would market that product as well. So there's been a lot of chatter about the use of AI in marketing. And the reason behind that is that marketing, especially digital marketing, online marketing, e-commerce, all of the stuff that is like digital native, had wonderful data sets to back up any hypothesis you may have in marketing, any tests you may run, you're measuring all the way through. And it's been oddly one of the more scientific parts of an organization for a while, you know, often even more scientific than research itself. So having massive data sets for your marketing efforts from places like Google Analytics or all the Facebook campaigns or your Google ads or YouTube, whichever ones that you are actually doing marketing and advertising for. And of course, there's going to be a myriad of, of SEO tools and measurement tools for your website. So you're going to be able to at least tell a very good story about your entire marketing process and engine that goes behind it. You'll have things measured in many ways. So having that as the start is really good in AI because now you've at least got all of this data and you may have never done anything with it. But the great thing is as a small organization, there's a lot of companies who know that you have this data. And if you work with them are very capable of pulling out the little bits of knowledge and interpret the way the data is speaking to them so that you can optimize uh, the kind of campaigns, possibly the geographies, possibly even the way that you write copy so that it performs best for your market. And that's actually something that we've done internally is, but it is an internal tool. It's literally, we've looked at our campaigns across many networks, which there aren't tools that do this. So this is basically like a data scientist tool book. It's, we do it all in, you know, internal tooling. So we take the data that comes from all the types of campaigns that we run, whether they are on YouTube, Facebook, Insta, all over and Google ads. And obviously we take our Google analytics and make sure that we understand how and where people convert. And then we optimize for the channels and geographies that work best. So that gives us a nice little superpower into marketing and it allows us to only spend kind of stupidly for one cycle. So our tests can go kind of berserk and stupid and, and very expensive for one cycle of reporting from these companies. Once we get that report, we then understand where we've spent, how we've spent and where it's been working the best. And we know where and how to optimize for the next cycle. So we wouldn't be losing money for a very long time. And that's usually the way that you want to test your marketing spend is ensure that it's optimized in a way and revert where possible and really step on the gas pedal on any of the campaigns and geographies that are working. You know, uh, now that a lot of people are working from home, tell me how AI can help managers increase productivity, focus and flow amongst their staff. Yeah, so this has actually been a huge pain in the neck for for ages like even before the working from home and 
the pandemic and managers feeling detached from their employees, which is something that's happening. We've had many, many, many situations across the board, whether it's in engineering or sales or even back office or whatever, where managers sort of had a little bit of feeling of insecurity because the best way to know whether your staff is working and doing its work is to hover, you know, and that's what a lot of managers, especially newer managers tend to do is like, I know you're here. I know you're working. I don't know whether it's great work or not, but I know you're working because you're, you're butts in the seat, you know, where they can physically see them in the past at an actual office, but now almost everyone is working virtually. That's right. Just about every knowledge worker is working in some arrangement is working virtually. It might not be every day anymore, Mm -hmm. but we're still in a place where, you know, maybe that manager and that employee just never see each other because they've chosen days to go into the office that don't coincide as well. Right. Right. So now the manager is super insecure and unaware of whether or not things are getting done until possibly it's too late. You know, maybe they're trying to now manage to an outcome and that outcome never gets there because you know the three to four weeks that happened in between when you were expecting stuff to get done by your staff maybe nobody did it you know hopefully that's not what's happening to most managers but that could happen right now so what are managers doing i mean a lot of them are using the tools that the organization has and trying to manage through proxy on that Uh, Imagine you're a large organization with Microsoft Teams or you're smaller because today we're talking more about smaller businesses. So maybe you have Slack or or some other version of messaging. And those tools will tell you when people are online. You know, you'll see the green dot, the green dot meaning you're there. A lot of managers are like, okay, well, I'm managing through proxy. I know that the green dot is on, which means you're available and I believe you're working. I don't know the outcomes. I don't know what else is going on, but I believe you're working. Right. So, I mean, there's a fallacy there and whatever. And now you get to a point where several weeks and months go by and you may not have been watching for your staff. And, you know, the work that they've done has sort of fizzled off or has not been as optimal. And now it reflects on you because you have a manager as well who's going to talk to you about your performance and your performance is largely your staff's. So what do they do? I mean, that's the big problem. And like the solutions that have existed have been pretty invasive and, you know, really looked at every keystroke and every mouse movement that people were doing and trying to monitor everything about them. You know, employees obviously don't want to have everything monitored about them. So what we've actually done is we've flipped that on its head and rather than give absolutely everything just to the manager, we focus a lot on the employee with this we instead give the employee as much data as possible and we mirror that data to the manager. There's nothing hidden from the employee. The employee has access to just about everything about themselves, not Mm -hmm. the department obviously, that the manager has access to. And the employee also can work with the manager within our tool set to craft the way that their, their tasks and workflows actually occur so that there isn't this concept of you're not working on the exact thing that I told you to. So now you've been a bad person. It's really the conversation gets flipped on its head towards you're not working on the exact thing I told you to. Why? And then you as the employee say, I found a better way. This is the better way. The outcome is still the same. And I've cut out an hour of time. 
So it gives you the ability to have these conversations with your manager. So it's very transparent. And I think you brought up a great point. I think it's that transparency, the trust, and the relationship, right? Because especially if you're not able to see each other face to face, you need to really establish that relationship virtually. And a lot of times, this is where a lot of companies or people struggle. People, they like to interact, right? So I think this helps build trust and everyone's aware of what's happening. That's right. And in terms of what's happening, as you may have heard in Canada, there's, and in Europe broadly as well, there's now this notion of right to disconnect. So that being the fact that employers are supposed to have a policy that allows the employee to not be online and be available so that they can live their their life, basically. So this is trying to solve a little bit for work-life balance. And we've seen throughout the pandemic that there's been a lot of instances where people are asked to do work at all hours of the day. So we've actually built that into the tool so that managers and employees can set up the way that they work and understand what hours they are working. So like that, they'll just be flagged that they're outside of company policy and they'll have a chance to fix it so that it doesn't get to a place where every employee is now outside of company policy and you have an actual issue. It's very possible that the employee logged on and did some work and they chose to do that rather than a manager actually talking to them about it. It would be logged, but it wouldn't be logged as you did something terrible. It's like, just explain it again. It's again about transparency, right? Yeah, the product itself is called Kunin AI, and it had originally been seeded and built by 1000ML for our teaching and training. And then it, it was spun off to become its own company. That's very cool. I think a lot of, um, not, not necessarily just small businesses, but many organizations will definitely benefit from this type of tool. That's right, yeah. We've seen the most success with this tool and the most uptick or interest really from larger organizations, but generally any, any thought workers who are doing at least, you know, a big portion of their work on a desktop. And now that starts to include salespeople too. They used to be road warriors, but guess what? Even salespeople are on Zoom now. Even salespeople, which traditionally you had trouble measuring their efficacy and output outside of how many sales did you make, you now have the opportunity to measure them as well. All right, so thank you again for joining in to All Things Data, season three, episode three. As you know, we intend to keep going every week with All Things Data and keep on theme as we have been for all of 2022. We hope you'll join us back next week where we'll be talking about more things data. Talk to you later.